Word on Fire is brought to you by Catholic Cemeteries, serving the Chicago area since 1837. This is Cardinal Francis George, and I invite you to join me for the next few minutes to reflect with Father Robert Barron on the Word of God, which is the Word on Fire. Father Barron will challenge us to open our hearts to the Word on Fire, which is God's Word of love for each of us. If our hearts are open, the Lord can change and transform us so that we might speak with love about the one who is love. The Archdiocese of Chicago, through the generosity of Sacred Heart Parish in Winnetka, now presents The Word on Fire. Peace be with you. Friends, there is no question more important or more pressing than this. Who is God? We talk about God all the time. We invoke God. We pray to God. But who is God? On this Trinity Sunday, the preacher's nightmare, as I've often said. No, it really shouldn't be. On Trinity Sunday, the church asks us in a very specific, pointed way to reflect on just this question. The Trinity, you know, is the distinctively, even peculiarly, Christian doctrine. Our belief in God separates us from secularists or even from Buddhists. Our belief in a personal God separates us from New Age mystics and Hindus. Our belief in the Trinity separates us from Unitarians and Jews and Muslims. It's the great defining doctrine of Christianity. What does it mean and where does it come from? As with everything else in Christian belief, it comes ultimately from Jesus. Look, Jesus appeared on the scene 2,000 years ago, and he announced he had been sent by the Father. Well, okay, so far so good. That made him more or less like Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Jeremiah, Elijah, any of the great heroes of Israel. You know, Yahweh seemed to delight in sending representatives to speak for him and to witness to him. So it appeared, though, Jesus was just like John the Baptist or any of these other great prophetic figures. But there was a strange something more in regard to Jesus, and it made all the difference. Because Jesus did not just speak for God, like the other prophets. Rather, he spoke and acted as God in the very person of Yahweh. Now, I've rehearsed these for you before, but it's it's worthwhile saying them again. When Jesus said to the paralytic, my son, your sins are forgiven. Well, they reacted immediately. All the people standing around, how could he possibly say that? Only God can forgive sins. Right. Unless you love me more than your mother and father, more than your very life, you're not worthy of me. Well, no prophet would have said that. No prophet would have had the gall to say such a thing, to arrogate to himself that kind of authority, that kind of personal centrality. You've heard it said... But I say, well, that's Jesus during the Sermon on the Mount. 
You've heard it said in the Torah, in the Word of God, in the highest possible authoritative text. That means he's claiming authority, yes, even over the Torah. No prophet, no patriarch, no merely human representative would ever dare say such a thing. You know, even with all their sins, the ancient Israelites had retained a strong sense of monotheism, belief in the one God, and with it, a horror of idolatry and blasphemy. Making oneself into God was about the most repugnant thing you could do. And yet, there's Jesus, sent by the Father, yes, but then he says at the Last Supper, I and the Father are one. Shocking. Overwhelming. But in light of the resurrection, the first Christians realized he is who he says he is. They realized they had to come to grips with this extraordinary identity of Jesus. Somehow, this Jesus was Son of God, which is to say, both sent and divine. He was other than the Father, otherwise the Father couldn't have sent him, but at the same time, he was at the same divine level as the Father. Now, things got even more complicated when the Holy Spirit came upon them at Pentecost. At the Last Supper, Jesus had spoken of an advocate or a paraclete whom he and the Father would send. Well, that's precisely what happened at Pentecost when the apostles were clothed in a divine power. They knew, they knew that this gift was not only of God, but it was God. Because it deified them and allowed them to deify others. Hmm, hmm. Therefore, there seemed to be a father, the one who sent Jesus. A son, the one who had been sent. And a Holy Spirit the one who was sent by both the Father and the Son. Listen now. All three divine, all three the one God of Israel. Those are the data. <laughs> That's what was given to them. Now, it took the church several centuries to work its way to a clearer and fuller understanding of this mystery how the one God of Israel is also Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. To get all the details, come out here to the seminary and sit in on my class on the, the history of the Trinity. I'll tell you all about it. But you know, much of it is anticipated in a little phrase from the first letter of John. Assigning to God his highest name, John says, God is love. Now, lots of religions, lots of spiritualities would say that God loves, that love is one of God's attributes. Love is one of the things that God does. 
But that's not John's claim here. His claim is far more radical. God is love. Right through. That's the essence of God. And that means, that means, there has to be in God a lover, a beloved, and a love. So intimately joined, they make up not three realities, but they are one reality. The one God. Ah, the Father, the Lover, the Son, the Beloved, the Holy Spirit, the love shared by Father and Son. Okay, so far there's the high abstract theology of the Trinity. To draw it down to earth a bit more, I want to draw your attention to something. You invoke the Trinity on a regular basis. You say, I don't think of these high uh, abstract thoughts very often. No, maybe not. But every time you bless yourself, every time you are readying yourself for, for prayer and you say in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, you invoke those three persons and you do so precisely in relation to the cross. And I want to say to you, that juxtaposition is by no means accidental. Why? Because the cross is the moment when the tensive unity of the three divine persons is on most vivid display. Let me say that again. The cross is the place, is the moment when the tensive unity of these three divine persons is on most vivid display. You know, the gospel for today is that luminous passage from John's gospel. God so loved the world that he sent his only Son that everyone who believes in him might not perish but might have eternal life. Well, see, there it is. God the Father so loved the world that he sent not just one more emissary, not just one more prophet, not just one more spokesperson, but he sent his only begotten Son. He sent the one he loved with that infinite eternal love. He sent the Son. Why? That we might be gathered into the dynamics of the divine life. Where'd the Father send the Son? Oh, all the way down to get us. That means He had to send Him into time, into history, into the human condition and all of its limitations and all of its vagaries. In fact, John says to us, doesn't he, the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. That means the Father sent His Son into the human condition. But that wasn't enough, was it? Because we had fallen even further. We had fallen into sin and into its concomitant death. And so the Father sent the Son even further down into our dysfunction, into our hatred and violence, into our stupidity and injustice and fear, all the way down, yes, even to death itself. He sent him in a word to the cross. Why would the Father have done such a terrible thing? Out of love, because that's all that God is. He wanted 
listen, to bring the divine life even into the darkest places. He wanted to hunt us down even to the furthest limits of where we had wandered from him. He wanted to follow us even into the darkest cave where we had tried to retreat from him. And so he sent the Son all the way down. Now, what was it that kept the Father and Son from splitting off from each other? What kept the Son, even on his downward journey, tethered to the Father? It was nothing other than the love that connects the Father and the Son. It was nothing other than the Holy Spirit. Think of the Son stretching forth almost to an infinite distance from the Father. But what kept him tethered was the Holy Spirit. And that's why we are saved by the Trinitarian God. You see, a God who is simply one, who hovers transcendently above the world, is not flexible enough to draw us into his life. But the God who is a trinity of persons, a God who is love, can stretch out so as to gather us in. And that's why, Christians, please take this one thing from the sermon today. That's why the Trinity is not an abstraction that just should beguile the minds of a few theologians. The Trinity is the whole of the spiritual life. It's because God is a communion of love that you and I can enter into the divine life. Think about that every time you pray and you bless yourself with the Holy Cross in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. God bless you. I hope that you were moved today by the word on fire. I pray that together we might become a people on fire with love for God and neighbor here in Chicago and wherever these words are heard. Until we join Father Barron again next week, I'm Cardinal Francis George. God bless you. The cemetery ministry is a core ministry of our Catholic faith tied to the corporal works of mercy. Cardinal George says, It's comforting to know that our Catholic cemeteries are caring for the remains of our loved ones awaiting the resurrection. There are 43 Archdiocese of Chicago cemeteries willing to help you during times of loss. Call 708-449-6100 for assistance. Catholic Cemeteries, serving the Catholic community since 1837.